Welcome back to Work, Love, Pray, Real Talk, Grounded in Truth. I'm Jordan Johnstone. Life wouldn't be life if we didn't have some curveballs thrown our way, right? We always hope that our days will play out exactly the way we planned, but in the back of our minds, we know that we won't always get that wish. When something unexpected pops up, how we respond is incredibly reflective of the level of emotional intelligence we possess. Emotional intelligence is probably a term you've likely heard of, but maybe don't know exactly what it means. It's incredibly broad, but also incredibly fascinating of a topic, and I have quite possibly the most perfect person to walk all of us through it joining me today. Dr. Catherine Pang is a licensed psychologist and the founder, clinical director, and managing psychologist of Lakewood Wellness Partners, a diverse private practice in Dallas, offering therapeutic and psychological assessment and testing services for patients of all ages and backgrounds. Dr. Pang's emphasis is on transformative change and in equipping each one of her clients with the skills to overcome the complexities of life's challenges and find ways to successfully navigate emotional and mental pain in the process of healing. Dr. Pang is also the founder of the Christian Life Institute, which is committed to the development of Christ followers' spiritual formation. She's also published numerous books and textbooks and has been a speaker at many conferences and events. And she also teaches a monthly Bible study for Forward and serves as the chair of the Forward Dallas local group. So Dr. Pang, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jordan. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here. So let's begin by having you define for us exactly what emotional intelligence is. So as many of you may be aware, emotional intelligence has been around for several decades. It started back in the early 1990s, and one of the initial definitions was emotional intelligence is a subset of social intelligence, which involves the ability to monitor one's own and others' feelings and emotions, to be able to discern among them, and then use that information to guide one's thinking and one actions. So in essence, what we're looking at is the ability to recognize and monitor, manage and change our own emotions, and to be able to do so with those around us, recognizing that we cannot control others, but we can use that information then to guide our interactions with other people. What are some signs of healthy emotional intelligence? And then on the flip side of that, what are some signs of unhealthy emotional intelligence? So that's a great question, Jordan. I'm sure that our listeners are familiar with terms such as the disease to please, otherwise known as people pleasing, with codependency, that is too much of a connectedness with others, whereas we derive our security, our stability, our identity from other people, their responses, their reactions to us. When we plug into other people's emotions and we begin to internalize them and make them our own, or we take our awareness of other people's emotions and become hypervigilant such that we then determine our own reactions or responses based on that hypervigilance, we're wandering into areas of unhealthiness. I'm sure that our listeners, if they take a moment, could step back and say, hmm, I wonder if there was a time when maybe I reacted without necessarily thinking because I was concerned that someone else would respond a certain way. Listeners may be familiar with the terms walking on eggshells or what I like to refer to as potentially stepping on landmines that we're uncertain as to other people's behaviors or reactions or responses. 
So we start to use our own barometer to measure what we should do or not do, which is coming from our limbic system, which is the more primitive part of our brain where the amygdala lives and where our fear response lives. So we tend to respond in an emotionally not the best way rather than stepping back and moving up to the prefrontal cortex where our higher level cognitive functions live to be able to say, wait a minute, what do I know about this person? What do I believe is happening in the moment? Develop that contextual awareness, which is a critical part of emotional intelligence, as well as our own assessment of the other person and ourself to then make a healthy response. So that's a little bit of a depiction of the unhealthy arena. Before I move forward, just wanted to pause and see if we needed further clarification on that piece. Nope, I think that's good. Okay. Then from a healthy perspective, what we want to do as Christ followers, as people that are concerned with our own responses, grounded and anchored in the truth of Christ, with demonstrating the love and the forgiveness and mercy and compassion of Christ, we want to be able to stop and say, okay, what do I know about myself? And this is a critical piece, that self-awareness. I spend a lot of time both at the Christian Life Institute, and for more information, people can go to www.christianlifeinstitute.com, where we have podcasts and resources where we explore, how do I identify my own susceptibilities? Where are those triggers in my own life that might cause me to respond in a not-so-emotionally-intelligent way? So we cultivate that self-awareness. We then have to be able to self-regulate. And this can be problematic for folks who struggle with resentment or frustration or anger or impulse control. It's hard sometimes to, in the moment when we feel we've been triggered, someone has responded to us in a way that is not agreeable, we then just respond back. It's what we refer to as Olympic system throwdown, sort of Godzilla versus King Kong, where none of us are thinking rationally. So we have to learn to what we call down-regulate. We have to move from our sympathetic nervous system, which is shooting all of this cortisol, which is a stress hormone and adrenaline into our systems, making it physiologically hard. So we're fighting against ourselves. We have to be able to downregulate into our parasympathetic nervous system where we can appropriate more of a calm and have the perspective to assess the situation in a healthy manner. And we have to do that through our own intrinsic motivation, which means we have to cultivate our resiliency. We have to find those reasons, which hopefully, if we're anchored in Christ, come from, I want to respond in a Christ-like manner. I want to exhibit the love and empathy and compassion of Christ. I want to resolve this conflict or manage this relationship in a way that demonstrates that Christ is truly on the throne. And in doing so, that can motivate us to take a breath, which is critically important. All too often, we don't stop to pause and breathe, to take a breath and to ask ourselves, okay, what do I know about where I am? What do I know about my situation? What's my intent? What's my motive? What's the truth in this? And then act from a place of higher level cognitive functions rather than the base limbic system emotions. If you have a good grasp on emotional intelligence, how can that skill benefit you in everyday situations? 
So that's another excellent question. As Christ followers, our goal should be stability in Christ. We want to be able to move through the distractions, the tumult, the upheaval, the unpredictability, the chaos that is this world. And we are in a time that is very unpredictable. No matter the season, the world is filled with spiritual pollutants. So we want to be able to be able to pay attention, to discern in ourselves, hey, what's happening with me? We're all going to have better days. We're all going to have not so great days. We're able all able to manage something more effectively than at other times. We want to regulate and recognize that we're going to have some movement, but we don't want to be tossed to and fro. We want to be able to be firmly rooted, as Paul says. We want to be grounded in the truth so that we can not only make wise choices about our own responses, but we're able to see clearly Because if we're not focused on being emotionally intelligent, both of ourselves and others, then we're going to be prone to react rather than respond through our susceptibilities, through our, what I call technically our ick, the stuff of life that maybe has not been worked through or resolved. And that's going to bring a lot of conflict and unnecessary upheaval and burdens and challenges in our life so that we end up getting in our own way rather than really helping ourselves. Earlier this year, I talked with Sandy Mitchell uh, about how neuroscience comes into play with conflict resolution. Does neuroscience also play a role in emotional intelligence? I have a feeling it does. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, it does. And that's what we were talking about, those terms, sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, limbic system, prefrontal cortex, those are those are systems and words that come out of neuroscience. Um, we have to be very mindful. God created us. He created us with an amazing and complex system. Our brains are extraordinary. Our physiology, which are those bodily responses, when we hear little kids saying, you know, I feel like there are butterflies in my tummy, that sort of a way of describing anxious feelings, People who tend to internalize their feelings experience what we call somatic distress, that is distress in their bodies. So understanding and learning how to move out of the limbic system and live in the prefrontal cortex, and I spend a lot of time discussing this with my patients, both in my psychology practice, and we talk about this at the Christian Life Institute as well, is really being able to shift So that we are being intelligent and we are using the gifts that God has given us to be able to maintain that stability, that steadfastness through our prefrontal cortex, rather than allowing our flight or fight, our survival system mechanism, which comes out of our limbic system and our sympathetic nervous system. So we're not in such a chronically tense state all of the time. And that's where when folks use what I call these big bucket category words, like I'm so stressed or I'm so overwhelmed, I ask people to take a moment and really break those down because those words in and of themselves don't really tell us anything. They don't message anything important to us individually rather than, okay, I'm feeling like I can't manage everything right now because I have 20 things to do and I don't know where to start is much more helpful to being able to manage one's emotions and interact with those around them rather than walking around saying, I'm so stressed, I'm so overwhelmed. 
So really reframing and choosing more specific words that message more accurately is critically important. Well, if we could, I would love to talk through maybe some scenarios of ways that we can put emotional intelligence to work for us. (laughs) And the first one I can think of that I feel like many of our listeners could relate to would be dealing probably with labels and judgment. And that's going to be either in the workplace or honestly, even in our personal circles too. That's a a really important topic, right? We tend to be very reactive and get very defensive very quickly when we feel we're being judged or labeled or there's a preconceived notion or we're not able to understand why someone cannot see our perspective. And it's easy for all of us to become lost in that rather than to take a step back and again, use the tools of emotional intelligence to be able to say, okay, wait a minute, what's really going on with me? This is an unresolved wound in my life. I'm really being triggered into past experiences of being prejudged and and labeled. And now I'm becoming lost in those hurts and those wounds that are not truly resolved. So we have to start with the truth about what's going on in us individually and then be able to recognize again, what do I know? What do I know about Susie? Susie is generally frustrated. Susie is generally crabby. Susie is not all that interested in using emotional intelligence. So if I'm walking around the workplace expecting Susie, and the key word there is expecting, to act differently, then in a way I'm setting myself up. Oftentimes we want the external factors to change, the people, the environment to change around us. We get very frustrated because we have expectations that that they or it or he or she would do so and they do not, rather than, wait a minute, this is Susie, right, wrong, good or bad. I need to figure out how to function well with Susie. What can I do realistically? And it may be what you can do is not internalize Susie's own way of being to make it personal, even if it feels really personal. So learning how to navigate those challenges is critically important. Harvard Business Review has a really good HBR's 10 must-reads on emotional intelligence, which you can um, obtain on Amazon, which has some really good strategic and tactical skills for leading in the workplace. Hmm. Now, what about someone who's dealing with unexpected changes in their life, like let's say a sudden death or a job change, or I know we all had to deal with coronavirus <laughs> earlier this year. Um, you know, how do you how do you go about dealing with something that's just very unexpected like that? Right. So I think first and foremost, it's the recognition that life in this world is by definition unexpected. I think oftentimes we become complacent because our immediate environment seems somewhat stable. So something like the coronavirus comes out of nowhere or someone in our life dies unexpectedly, both of which are extremely tragic. I lost a husband 20 some odd years ago unexpectedly to liver cancer. So I walked that journey and can certainly relate to those types of situations. I think it comes back to our stability and foundation in Christ, that if we are truly rooted in Christ, if we recognize that he is sovereign, that he is still at work, that nothing surprises God, 
that there are no gods being caught by by surprise, that we're able in that moment to help ground ourselves into the truths that we know from the word of God so that we can stand fast and also recognize that those types of of significantly large, huge, not even a word big enough to describe emotions, which are really, really powerful and really, really real, are going to take time. Mm-hmm. And from my own experiences, it's drawing near to God. It's cultivating the depth of that relationship. It's recognizing that he can see me through. He can heal me. He is still with me. He still has a plan for me. It's a mindset that anchors into the truth of God rather than pulling away because our emotions are so strong and we get fearful and scared and angry and want to take control and can't control. And then we get in those destructive loops or cycles. So my, my counsel for myself and anyone is take a really deep breath and cultivate that relationship and really stabilize in the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion and the strength and power and hope that is in Christ. Well, and in in addition to that, I mean, are there any other ways that emotional intelligence can make us better Christians? Absolutely. And this is why at the Christian Life Institute, we have the first module labeled detoxification, because until we're willing to do what I call a deep dive and really allow the light of Christ to explore our nooks and crannies, reveal to us those places that impair our emotional intelligence, that create roadblocks for being able to persevere and press on and run the race with endurance, as Paul talks about in his letters, that we're really not providing an environment for ourselves to be able to be successful. And Christ came to set the captives free. He wants us to be those overcomers. He wants us to claim the victory that we have in him, regardless of the external events in our life, because God's number one concern is our spiritual condition. So as we sort of detox, which is to sort of take a spiritual cleanse and take the time to work through and sort through the blockages in our own personal lives, And then our module two is infusion as we're able to infuse with the word of God and digest the truth of God and truly appropriate and extract the rich spiritual nutrients that come from the bread of life, who is Christ, and from the living water, who is Christ, then we're really positioned to be able to not react, but respond, to be Mm -hmm. able to be emotionally and cognitively intelligent, behaviorally intelligent, navigating the challenges of our world and our life so that we can be in the world, but not of the world in Christ Jesus. Mm. Well, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share? No, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I just want to encourage everyone who's listening to recognize that we have been given the victory, that if we belong to Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit in us, and he enables and empowers and equips us to be able to be those overcomers. So cultivate the skill sets, practice, practice, practice. There are no shortcuts. There are no quick fixes. Band-aids don't work. There are no, no pills. It's like anything. We have to commit the time and energy and resources. And as we do, we can grow and cultivate these skill sets. 
We're glad you joined us for this conversation with Dr. Pang about understanding how to strengthen our emotional intelligence and put it to good use. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes on our website, forwardwomen.org slash podcast. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N.org slash podcast. If you're listening somewhere other than our website, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We appreciate any feedback we get and always want to make sure that we're featuring the topics that you're interested in hearing about. As you move forward on your journey to work, love, and pray well, don't forget to make time for real talk grounded in truth.